Well, again, good morning. I do hope everybody had a great Christmas week. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Christmas, and so it's a great opportunity for us to continue the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we do that, I want us to look together at these verses that I just read from John chapter 1. So if you want to grab uh, your Bible or a Bible from the pew and open it to John chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want us to begin by asking a question. Uh, I want to give you a hypothetical. For example, I want you to imagine yourself being approached by a five-year-old child and ask this simple question, what is God like? What is God like? How would you answer? Or what if a genuinely curious friend came to you who was seeking to understand more about your faith and what you believe, and they ask you, what do you believe? about God. What is he like? I wonder what you would say. What would you draw from? Would you draw from the Bible? Would you think of things that you'd heard about God or read somewhere about God? Would you draw from your own experience? How would you answer the question, what is God like? I came across a study done at Baylor University that focused in on different answers to that question. They surveyed Americans and they came up with a, about four different categories of ways that people tend to answer the question, what is God like? One of them was an authoritarian view of God. About 30% of people saw God this way, that he is powerful and judgmental, that he's all about the rules and that he's very hands-on. He's a micromanaging type of God. About 25% of people thought God was a distant God a deity who's removed from human affairs, who winds up the clock, as it were, of reality and then just lets it go. 16% thought of God as a critical being, a God who doesn't really engage with us in any personal, relational way, but looks down on us in frustration and disappointment, a God who ultimately is not happy with what he finds in the world. And then about 20% of folks saw God as benevolent, a God who is always good, always nice, always sweet, never judges, loves me no matter what I do or say or think. And so you get this kind of mishmash of views of God that are floating around out there, this word that we even use for God. People mean different things when they use that word. A.W. Tozer famously once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is perhaps the most important thing about us. And so it's a, a, an important question, a simple yet profound one that we're invited to consider on this first Sunday of Christmastide. It invites us together to engage with John chapter one, which I think is a great place to look as we seek to answer this question, what is God like? In the opening verses of John's gospel, he makes this audacious claim that we can actually know God, that he is knowable, that he is relatable, he's approachable. Specifically, John's gospel proclaims that we can know God, and the way we can know God is by looking at Jesus himself. In John's gospel, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And I love verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, the logos in Greek, 
is a way of talking about God. It's uh, an ancient euphemism for the creator God who, who speaks reality into being. And Jesus, this eternal creating word, has now stepped into creation itself and has taken on flesh, taken on humanity, fully God and fully man. And this beautiful and mysterious doctrine is what we call the incarnation. It is God with us. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. John says that when we look at Jesus, what we actually get to see is God's glory. God's glory. But what is glory? Glory, I think, is one of those Bible words that we hear a lot. We even use, maybe, on occasion. But what does it mean? In the Bible, it carries a range of ideas. It can mean to praise or honor something. So as we've gathered here this morning, we are bringing glory to God. We are praising him. We are worshiping him as the people of God. But it also carries this idea of God's self-revelation. God's glory is him showing himself to us, allowing us to see him as he is, to encounter him as God. In the Exodus story, the glory of God takes on several forms. We see his presence manifest in the burning bush to Moses. We later see him leading his people through smoke and fire and appearing on Mount Sinai. God's glory was revealed in his presence in the tabernacle and later in the temple. It was a visible presence. And as you read the story of scripture, you get glimpses of God's glory kind of here and there through his power and through his mercy and then again through his compassion and through his holiness. But these are only glimpses. If we read the story of scripture, we get glimpses of what God is like, but never the full picture. In fact, Moses longed to see God's glory in full. And he said, God, in Exodus 33, show me your glory. To which God replied, no. No one can see my glory and live. God's full glory, God as he truly is, would overwhelm us. It would destroy us. But the amazing good news of Christmas is that God has revealed himself and he's done so in his son Jesus. In Jesus, we are able to see God's glory, see God as God, who he truly is. And the God we see in Jesus isn't authoritarian or critical or distant. Rather, we encounter a God who is described as being full of two things. And those are the two things that I want to focus our attention on this morning from John chapter 1. He's full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus comes to us in the flesh, God revealed, as full of grace and truth. And so I want to take them in reverse order. I want to look first at truth. Jesus, we're told, is full of truth. Now, truth is a slippery term these days. Uh, truth is up for grabs in our culture, and I think we all feel it. We know that living in the cultural moment where we find ourselves, um, objective facts, right, a transcendent truth is not a, a widely held view. In fact, objective facts are less and less influential in our culture at shaping what we think and who we are. Rather, appeals are made to emotions. What do you feel to be reality? And it's interesting, it's gone beyond the postmodern creed of, well, that's true for you, but not for me. It's actually entered into a step beyond that, I think. This idea of truth as rendered irrelevant because it's superseded by what I feel. But <clears throat> what happens when we encounter reality? Well, what I feel is the truth, even when I come into contact with reality that contradicts what I feel, I feel 
it so strongly that I dismiss reality. And we see this happening all over our world in all kinds of ways. The very idea of truth is rendered irrelevant, again, because it's superseded by what we feel. So much so, though, that today to question what someone feels is our culture's cardinal sin. How dare you question what I feel to be the case for me? But this is not freedom. It poses as freedom, but it's not. This is a tyranny, a tyranny of our own choosing, a tyranny of desire. Imprisoned within our own hearts and enslaved by our own wills, we have no way of knowing whether who we are or what we are doing is true or if it could ever make us truly happy. At our previous church, we ran the Alpha Course. I believe Holy Cross has run the Alpha Course in the past, and I love the ministry of Alpha because it invites people into a safe place where they can wrestle with this question about who is God and what is he like and what does he have to do with my life? We ran Alpha, and I had a friend come on the course, and in the process of going through the course, he shared with me some of his frustrations, uh, in particular frustrations and disillusionment he felt about this feelings approach that he had taken to his own life, of doing kind of what made him happy as his guide. He graduated from college. He'd gotten a great job. He had great friends. He had money. He had a great place to live. Everything was in place for him to have a fulfilled life, and yet... He felt like something was missing. It was always not quite enough. And so he got into his late 20s, early 30s, and he felt this deep sense of anxiety and being adrift, nagged by the idea that there's got to be something more to life, something he couldn't quite put his finger on. As followers of Jesus, we would want to point him to Christ himself. But I think we have to recognize that many in our culture feel this way. They feel this disconnect. They're conflicted deep within, driven by their feelings and desires, but at the same time longing for something permanent and transcendent, something that sounds a lot like truth. So the question then comes down to, well, what is truth? Maybe what is truth according to Jesus? What do we believe as followers of Christ? The gospel claims the truth is that God created us. The truth is that God has chosen to glorify himself by inviting us into life with him, that we might enjoy him forever. But the problem is we've rejected God as God in favor of life on our own terms. We favor a life without the constraints of transcendent truth. And if God is the giver and sustainer of life, then rejecting God ultimately leads to death, spiritual separation from the giver and sustainer of life. We need God, therefore, to save us from ourselves, from sin and death. And so that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He sent him not only to be born, but to live and to die in our place on the cross, to take the death that we deserve and to raise him from the dead, that through faith in him, we might be restored to right relationship with our creator. And so the the promise of the gospel is that if we turn from our sin, if we turn from life without God and trust and follow in him, in his son, Jesus, we will be saved. And so this is why Jesus goes so far as to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, for followers of Jesus, the truth is not some abstract set of ideas or or a, a great life philosophy. It's a person, 
The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Through trusting in him and his way, we discover who God is. We discover who we are, and we discover what life is all about. In Jesus, we find forgiveness and freedom and peace and hope. And that's good news. That is good news we all need. I don't know where you are in your life this morning, what you're experiencing. Sometimes Christmas can be a really difficult time. So maybe you come in here this morning carrying heavy burdens. In fact, some of us may come in here carrying an overwhelming sense of brokenness or hurt or shame. And we need to be reminded of the truth. And the truth is that God loves you and he offers you forgiveness. He loves you and he offers you grace. Some of us have family members, friends who are struggling with addiction and they need real freedom and real hope and they can find it in this Jesus. When you pull in your driveway this afternoon after you enjoy a way too big New Year's Eve lunch here after the service and wanna take a nap, you'll be surrounded by neighbors, people that may or may not know this Jesus and I'll tell you, they don't need good advice about how to live a better life. What they need is the truth. They need the good news. They need this Jesus that we're here worshiping today. And so Jesus, he is the one who has come full of truth. He is truth. And so that's what God is like. And then we also learn that God is full of grace. He's full of grace. I don't know if you've ever read uh, this great little book by Philip Yancey. It's, it's been decades since it came out, but it's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And if you've never read it, I, I would highly recommend it. But he says just simply in that book that grace is God's loving coming to us as an undeserved gift. God's love coming to us as an undeserved gift in the person of Jesus. And that this gift is what distinguishes Christianity from any other way of approaching life, any other faith. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Muslim code of law, all the other ways that we as human beings have come up with that offer a way to know God actually depend on us earning God's love and acceptance. But Jesus came full of grace, full of grace. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul said it beautifully. He said, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In a way, the Christmas story itself is shaped by grace. It's an undeserved gift, this Jesus God came not as a conquering warrior or a great ruler, but as a humble, helpless baby in a backwater town of an insignificant vassal state. That his birth was announced not to political movers and shakers, but to the rich and to the powerful, not to the rich and the powerful, but to the poor and the lowly. It all screams grace. Jesus isn't for the deserving, not for those who think they are good enough and finally have their life together, but for those who know that they are broken for those who know they are in need. Grace, I think, for me, is not such a difficult concept to get my head around. The hard thing for me is to believe it, to really believe it for myself, to accept the grace. I think all of us, on some level, are suspicious of grace. Our pride pushes it away. We want to be in control we want to earn what we get. We want to find security in that. I thought of um, a popular Christmas 
song. I mentioned at Christmas Eve, some Christmas songs give us great theology, some not so much, like this one. <laughs> he's making a list, and he's checking it twice. <laughs> he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Help me finish. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. For many of us, I think the functional God we have in our life is a lot more like this version of Santa Claus. What I mean by that is it's easier, I think, sometimes to believe in a God who will love and accept us if we are good enough. And conversely, if we haven't been good, that we bear the weight of our guilt and shame alone. And we believe that God can never love us, that he sits over us in heaven, shaking his head in deep disappointment, and he passes us by, no gifts, no love, no hope. But that is not what the God of the Bible is like. He is full of grace, undeserved love. Grace isn't just about God letting us off the hook either for all the things that we've done. Grace is who he is. Grace is the story he's always been telling. The truth is we deserve judgment, but God gives us what we deserve, not what we deserve, but through Christ gives us grace. Jesus took what we deserved on the cross. And so John here says, to all who believe in Christ, he gives the right to be called children of God. Grace is about the undeserved gift of, of real relationship with God. And so if you want life with God, the way to receive it is to admit you don't deserve it. To confess your sin, to confess your need, and to hear him say these words of grace, you are forgiven. And Jesus, God, comes not to shame us, not to condemn us, but to show us grace, to set us free from guilt and shame, and to give us life, life of joy with him forever. And so I come back to my original question. What is God like? In Jesus, we get to see exactly what God is like. He's full of grace and full of truth. I thought of the words of the late Tim Keller, who once described Jesus and his appearing at Christmas this way. He said, it's a lot like looking at the sun. We can't look directly at the sun with our eyes. The glory of the sun would immediately overwhelm and destroy our sight. We have to rather look at it through a filter, and then we can see the great flames and colors of the sun. And so when we look at Jesus Christ as he's revealed to us in the scriptures, we are looking at the glory of God through the filter of human nature. In Jesus, we get to see the glory of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Christmas is not over. We've got a few more days to celebrate. And as we do that this week, I wanna invite you to stare at the sun. Stare at the S-O-N. As we begin the new year, let's Set our eyes on the perfecter of our faith, the glorious one, on Jesus himself. And let's let him captivate again our hearts 
the one who is full of grace and truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.